Ah, yes, friends. On a Monday, it's OGP, one giant podcast, where, as always, I'm your host, Adam Armbrecht, covering the New York football giants as long as the season may take, as well as the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast. And that is generational season ticket holder, Eli Manning, Jersey Retirement Day attendee, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir, on a Monday? Before we get sad, let's stay happy. Did you get the bobblehead, doll? Did you get the so, bobblehead? I specifically asked you to get me the bobblehead. Adam, I could not attend this game. It was my family that went to this one. So, unfortunately, they have said bobbleheads. Um, but, and, they're, but to, and they're putting one in the mail. Well, we're going to see. I, I got to see how many, what it looks like, what's going on. I, I got, I, you know, I got a little bit of a rundown from them already at the sentiment, uh, you know, of, of the, of the, of the fans in the stands. And uh, it feels like there was two different types of games being played. One was the celebration of Eli Manning and the other was the disdain and scorn that giant fans currently have for the team that is assembled on the field. That, that seems about fair. We'll, we'll, we'll touch back in on the Eli Manning piece of it at the back end of it because it was nice. You got to see it. You could watch it on the on the, uh, on the the Giants app and just get a sense of what was going on there. Some of the players that were there to help celebrate with Eli Manning as well. It was great. Um, and, and we'll try to maybe close things out on a happy note. We start with the game on the field where, as we said, coming in, both you and I picked the New York Football Giants to win this game. That's a swing and a miss. Um, for very, you know, a couple different score lines, both had 10-point victories for the New York Football Giants. There's a lot to get into from an injury standpoint and what may be derailed it or not. But I came on, did a little rant, had a bit of sadness uh, yesterday on YouTube around this team, maybe on a bit of a macro level. But I know you had mentioned Jason Garrett and, and that being a big point of, of contention for you coming out of this game. I'm assuming it's in and around the idea. I'm going to cap off the first half with. Could have been a big a big turning point there. Atlanta could have gotten points on the board and taken the lead. The Giants' defense holds, but the offense did kick two field goals in the first half of this game as opposed to maybe converting them to seven. What was your stance and what you took away from the first half under Jason Garrett? Oh, I mean, Adam, it, it's painful, and it's such a microcosm of what is going on on this offense because there's going to be a lot of things we're going to get into today. One, is that Daniel Jones looked good. Like, he looks like a pretty competent quarterback. Yeah. So how on earth can we say that when a team only scores 14 points against the worst defense in the league was almost a historically bad defense through two weeks, giving up 40 points a game? And so, like, there, there's clearly some kind of disconnect. If the QB's playing well, but we're not manufacturing points, like, where does that lie? And, and for me it lies with the play calling of Jason Garrett. I just can't believe my my eyes. Like when, when I when I look and see what's going on on the field, it, it is such a conservative play calling that it makes me very angry. Like I don't understand why we get so conservative over this thing. Like Adam, help me understand why uh, on fourth and three in the third quarter at the 39-yard line, the Giants are punting the ball. Like, why are we doing that? Like, it, it is it is nonsensical that we are doing these types of play calls when, like, yeah, but that doesn't have anything. But that's not. But that has nothing to do with Jason Garrett, though. Like, and I understand. Like, I know there's there's other pieces that we'll get into as far as like the you know play calling throughout the game and, and a general conservative play calling. But I'll but I'll tell you right there, that's Joe Judge. Jason Garrett doesn't say whether or not they go for it on a fourth and three in the third quarter. Joe Judge tells you whether or not you go for it. That's the head coach's responsibility there, and he said punt that football, pin him back. 
Let's get this thing back and we'll, you know, and we'll go from there. That's not on, that's not on Jason Garrett, even though, you know, but, I have my issues with Jason Garrett, but that's not on, that's not on him. But you're, you're not seeing the forest through the trees right now because on third down, third and three from that same 39 yard line, the New York Giants decided to throw a deep ball down the side of the field, right? What if you're, if you're trying to pick up a first down, you, call a play that has a chance to pick up five, six, seven yards. You don't throw it deep. And okay, then but they, even, even to top that off, the Atlanta Falcons were so confident that the New York giants were going to be ultra conservative. And Jason Garrett wasn't going to plead to Joe judge. Like we got to go for this. Daniel Jones is moving that there was a penalty on that third down play. And they declined it instead of pushing them back 10 yards. They knew the giants were going to play ultra conservative. They knew with the play calling of Jason Garrett, that even if they were going to go for it there, the, the confidence level was as low as humanly possible. And, and, and to me, it's, it falls into Jason Garrett. And I'm going to give you a couple of stats at them and, and please explain to me if these are, these are good or bad under Jason Garrett. Since he has become the offensive coordinator in 2020, Marcus Mosher on Twitter put out, we are 32nd in yards to go on third down. So we have the worst yardage to go on third down. We're 31 in points per game. We're 31st in explosive passing plays. We're 30th in points per drive. So we're not actually scoring when we get into the red zone. We're 28th in yards per play. We're 31st in red zone touchdown percentage. We're, we're 29th in sacks allowed. We're 29th in offensive penalties, which means we're completely undisciplined. All of this is just one side of the ball. It is the offensive side of the ball, which Jason Garrett is responsible for. And okay, listen. again, Jason Garrett's not responsible for the penalties that, that the offensive line takes. Again, that, like that's a Joe Judge thing. They took another eight penalties yesterday. Seven of them, I think, in the first half. If not all eight of them were in the first half. Like That's not on Jason. Again, it's not on Jason Garrett to be a disciplined team. That's on Joe Judge. Now, I, I, I listen, and by the way, I'm not like I'm not even a fan of Jason Garrett. Like I do think his play calling is a bit too conservative. I do think that maybe he doesn't have the creativity to utilize the weapons to the you know best possible usage. But when you're going to throw in stats like, oh, last year when he when he took over, okay, great. Last year when the Giants came into the season allegedly having Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton as the top three wide receivers. And then Golden Tate doesn't play most of the season. So you don't even have really any true number ones. You don't have any elite talent necessarily. And then you also don't have Saquon Barkley for the entire year. So like you can gloss over that if you want, but that'd be like saying uh, the, uh, the the Green Bay Packers. What happens to the Green Bay Packers if they don't have Devontae Adams all last year and they also don't have Aaron Jones all season and then they lose another key weapon or piece along the way? Like even Aaron Rodgers things are going to look a little bit different if you take away two or three of his best weapons and then set him out there. Again, it doesn't mean that I don't think the play calling isn't conservative on Jason Garrett's part to the specifically in this Atlanta game. I think you're right. Like when, so when you get to that point there, the penalty on, on, on the third down play, you're right. Atlanta's looking at it and saying, listen, I highly doubt that they're going to try to go for it here. And I'm almost willing to bait them into going for it. Cause we probably feel like we could stop them if we needed to. Certainly that, that may be possible. But then the piece just before that is on a third and three, you're saying that you're disgusted by Jason Garrett's conservative play calling. He opens it up, grips it and rips it, tries to take it over the top on a third down play. It doesn't convert. But if it does convert, then you're going to we're going to say, hey, there you go. He opened it up. He went for it. So, like, I, I just think, again, my bigger gripe about this is that is Jason Garrett a great offensive play caller? Probably not. He doesn't seem like he's evolving with the NFL times and utilizing the weapons as best as he could. Okay, fine. And also, this team, like, is not that good. 
Like this has become now the scapegoat. The scapegoat is now that Jason Garrett is, he's the reason why the team sucks. It's not about the fact that Joe judge was the head coach last year when the team started one and seven. It's not that he was the head coach that started this year where they're zero and three. And it's not the fact that even in this game alone, third quarter, you said it third quarter, he's trying to open it up. Who was catching the football? In the second half of this game, after Sterling Shepard goes out, Darius Slayton goes out, Kenny Galladay with his already hip injury was limited in this game. Kadarius Tony's not out there on the field a lot. That's not about Jason Garrett. That's about organizationally. Did you draft a player that wasn't capable of understanding a playbook and being ready to go? Maybe, maybe not. Is Jason Garrett capable of figuring out a way to utilize him? The fact that after all those top wide receivers went out, they had Johnson catching footballs. That tells you everything you need to know about where Kadarius Tony is in his development and his ability to be relied upon. He was not reliable enough to be out there. At the very least, he could go out to any one of those Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton positions and run those routes unless they don't think that he's ready and capable of doing it. And it's going to be to the detriment of Daniel Jones to not be running the right route combinations and making yourself available. They gave the opportunities to a player off the street and he caught five or six balls over the second half of this game. So Adam, I am not suggesting that everything lies on Jason Garrett because it certainly doesn't. There's two sides to the ball. There's special teams. There are ultimate decisions that come down to the head coach. That fourth and three that we're talking about is completely inexcusable for the Giants to punt the ball in that position. And I'll tell you why. That's fine. All that's, that, and that's, and that's for Joe Judge no, to say, all, go get it then. Right, right, right. But but yeah. I agree with you. Like, it doesn't matter who, to go around it, it and is. I, like, yeah. Totally. So let me just explain to you on that fourth and three at the Atlanta 39 yard line, the chances of the giants winning the game on an analytics basis. If you go for it, your win percentage ends up being 56%. If you attempt a field goal, the analytics say your chances of winning the game is 51%. If you punt in that situation, your win percentage goes below 50% and goes down to 49%. So by making that decision, analytics are telling you that you have a 7% worse chance of winning the game by doing what Joe Judge and that offense decided to do. And and that is inexcusable. And and that's why there's plenty of blame to go around. The the conservative play calling by, by Jason Garrett is completely one thing. And the second piece of it is Joe Judge preaches discipline. They get penalties left and right. Joe just says we're going to be ultra aggressive. We are not ultra aggressive as a team. Like every, it's all lip service right now in terms of coaching that they 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 want to be a certain way, but their actions are, are are not following the words that they're saying. Right. Well, and by the way, right? No, hundred a hundred percent because you know some of the post game. I only listened to a few minutes of it where Joe Judge said, "Has some positives, some things we got to work on, some takeaways, got to get back in there, got to blah blah blah." Like. Listen, that, that's, of course, running thin now because you're just you, you can't come out of a game when you lose to the Atlanta Falcons like this. Listen, the Eagles put up 30 plus points against them. You can, you know, look at the Tampa Bay game and say hey, you're going to lose to the Tampa Bay team. Right. Like there, there is a world where coming into this game, you at least take a look at it and say, well, you put up 25 points. But I think even you pointed it out coming into this matchup. Remember, there was a garbage time touchdown in there for Atlanta as well. So this is a team that was getting blown out, blown out and beaten up. Uh, in the first two weeks of the season, essentially, I I don't know what what the switch needs to be. I almost want to let's ask this question: If they go for it there on fourth down and they don't get it, where where do you like? Can you authentically say where your mind would be 
understanding, like you said, hey, listen, analytics say go for it. You know you want to do it. What if the what what if what if the justification for not going for it in those circumstances from the giant standpoint is like we don't think we're good enough to do it? Like how 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 would you feel about it if they're not getting those fourth downs and they've been doing that all year? Adam, I can unequivocally say that I would be fully on board with the Giants going for it on fourth down and missing it because for me, I'm never going to fault a team that wants to go out and win a game. It feels like the Giants are doing everything to not lose games rather than go win games. And like this whole idea of like field position, like, yeah, Keon Crossing, great. Down the ball at the five. Three plays later, they're at the 35-yard line. Didn't even change anything. And that just goes to show how important possession is as opposed to field position in this day and age where people can get chunky yardage gains. So for me, I want to be aggressive. And if we swing and we miss, I'm okay with it. Do you think that this also comes down to the perspective that like that the Giants don't view themselves as the Jacksonville Jaguars? Like, you know what I mean? The, the the lower teams in the league that come into most games being like, we don't have a lot, we don't have a really good chance here to win this game. Those are the teams that kind of say, we're gonna go for it on every fourth down. Anything, anything inside of the 45, we're probably gonna go for it. We want to try to get points on the board. But theoretically, and, and to this end of it, I kind of get it. And when you look inside this game, remember, you've got Logan Ryan, you've got Adoree Jackson, you've got Bradbury, like almost having a number of turnovers, right? Like we're so like this is maybe the first time this season where I'm like, hey, like game script is telling you like the defense could they finally were getting some pressure, right? You had the strip sack from Aziz Ojolari. So maybe you think that the defense can get the job done there. But do you think that philosophically the Giants thinking that they are a playoff caliber team? is what sometimes prevents them from going forward in those circumstances where a lot of the lower le level teams in the league say, we always go for it now because analytics tell us it. And also it's like you double down because we know if we're not getting ourselves 30 points today, we're probably not going to win. So every chance we have, we have to take the Giants sit there and say, look at our personnel. We should be able to stop the, this offense. We should be able to shut them down. We should be able to get the ball back, et cetera. And, and then, you, and then like you say, you pin them inside the five, two plays, three plays later. They're out in midfield, and, and you've completely diminished that field position battle that, that may not even matter anymore in today's NFL. Ultra-conservative play calling against the Washington football team when James Bradbury jumps a route. There's just over two minutes to go. The game is in the balance. You get one first down. You basically salt the whole thing away, and Jason Garrett goes ultra-conservative. Let's not lose the game. Let's everybody just chill out and relax, and guess what? It results in the Giants losing the game because they left time on the clock. Heineke comes down and scores. There, there is a changing of the guard in the NFL. All of the newer coaches, the new age coaches that embrace analytics are seeing that it is more of a benefit and it is more advantageous for you to be going for it and being more aggressive and trying to continue to keep your possession and move the ball down the field than it is to give the ball away and save 15 or 20 yards of field position. Like to me, I just think that Jason Garrett is, is ultra conservative play caller. You can see his yards per attempt. It's it's the reason why you know the Dallas Cowboys were like, good luck with Jason Garrett, the most conservative play caller ever, even though he wasn't calling plays for the last couple of years there. The Giants are feeling the same thing. Joe Judge is talking about being ultra aggressive and being disciplined, and we're neither of those things right now. So for me, like I almost wish that we were of, of the mentality of the Jacksonville Jaguars or someone else where it's like, hey, we don't have anything to lose. Like us thinking that we're just going to like stay in the game and hope the ball bounces our direction hasn't been working it just hasn't over the last two seasons and so for me I think there needs to be a radical change and 
you know, I'm, I'm, it's three games in, but I'm seeing the exact same things that made me frustrated about Jason Garrett last year. To me, it feels like there needs to be a spark. And, and for me, it would be relieving Jason Garrett of play calling duties and giving Freddie Kitchens an opportunity to, to do something, to make it different, to have a different look. Because you can't have Daniel Jones looking as good as he did yesterday and only putting up 14 points. That but, just but, can't so there, happen. Well, okay. And the last, the last piece on that, before we go a little bit bigger picture here, but like then, but don't you have to give Jason Garrett credit for designing the play calls that has made Daniel Jones look good. And again, like I'm only, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but just the idea of, listen, the points, the scoring that, 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 that hasn't been there for us hundred percent. Right. But like the last two weeks we're saying Daniel Jones looks good. It's not like, you know, Daniel Jones isn't running out there all unscripted and saying, Hey, Let's backyard Brett Favre this thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to draw this thing up in the dirt here and we're going to get the job done. Like this is inside of Jason Garrett's system. And, and that's where I wonder about to your, you know, to your point, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the internal conversation or again, this is where I do think you have to acknowledge Joe judge and his role in this, which you are, but it's just that his role in this is like, okay, if Jason Garrett is a guy that maybe does lean on the side of a little bit more conservative play calling, you have to then as Joe judge say, Hey, I want, give me the explosive play here. Give me the dynamic, right? I, I want to see these opportunities here. And, and then Jason Garrett will open up the playbook and, and do it because we have seen hit the big pass to CJ board down the sideline yesterday, right? Like the opportunities are there. They're, they're taking some of these chances. It does come down to, as you've rightly pointed out in some of these bigger spots, it seems like they tighten up as a team. The play calling gets more restrained and they take this approach of, you mentioned last week when they're in that spot, because we went back and thought about it, it's like, the first down was the most important piece there. It wasn't even, right. it wasn't the field goal. It right. wasn't the touchdown. It was like, get the first down because then everything else works for you. You drain the clock, all of those things. And in that way, it's like Jason Garrett is a conservative play caller. That That is a hundred percent who, who he has been in, in his career for the most part. Also in that spot, I go, boy, Saquon Barkley, you can't like, you got to know your personnel. Right. And we talked about it last week about what's the best usage of your running back. But it's like, man, do I feel like this offense should be able to just shove the ball forward for 10 yards? Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that, and that's my outside view and Garrett needs to know, no, we can't, right. We can't get this job done. We've lost Nick Gates. We've lost some of our starting linemen. We, we can't go that route. And maybe some of that also comes down to, you can have a good game script, but if you don't have the ability to adjust off of it as things change last week with your offensive line injuries, this week with the wide receiver injuries, if you can't figure it out on the fly, then that's a big problem too, right? You can scheme all week long and then say, but what if this happens? And you go, ah, if that happens, we'll have to see. That's not good enough either from you know from a coaching standpoint across the board. We talk about the, the Washington football team when when the Giants get the interception late in the fourth quarter. You know, Adam, it, it, it's just a microcosm of the whole season. It's like you're in field goal range. You have, a, you know, an, a, a pro bowl kicker who's going to be able to make the kick. Even if he gets sacked, you're still in field goal range. You have everything in front of you. You already basically have the three points banked. The idea is how do we not just take the three points and then hope that our defense makes a stop with two minutes to go? How do we go out there and physically win this game, not just take a field goal and hope, right? Like that's enough. the difference. In yesterday's game, because you can even you can go this route with it too, right? You want to be ultra aggressive. They were inside the forty there, right? You're talking about a, a fifty-six yard field goal, right? Like, Gano's capable of that. So they're like, to, and I'll, I'll say to your point, right? 
Now, the risk reward of, of a turnover potentially, that's obviously something you think about. But if you told me that you were going to just throw three bombs down the field and see what happens and then and then take a field goal, would I feel maybe a little bit better about that? Sure. But and and this is the, the, the again, this is the last piece on 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 examining how the offense looks is like it is so conditional on result. <laughs> like if you throw the deep bomb there like they did and you connect, well, then it's a great play and it looks good. And we're talking about how Jason Garrett opened it up yesterday and, and got the job done. They don't hit that play. You get to a fourth and three and you don't, you know, you don't go for it. You don't make the big play, like all the, all those things that come into it. But I, I was just thinking about how the giants get to fourth and three. They choose to punt it. There's also the world where it's even mildly aggressive to kick the field goal attempt there and live with the result of if it came up short and you were to give up the, you know, the ball to the, to the Atlanta Falcons at midfield. Advanced analytics said you had a 2%, 2% better chance of winning the game by attempting that long field goal than you do punting the ball away. So even right, so if you're conservative, you went, you went literally you, to the, to the you, most conservative possible option, which ended up analytically being the worst option available to you. And, and that's the point, Adam, yeah. think about it like this fourth and three. If you pick up five yards, you basically guarantee yourself points. Like then you're definitely in Gano's field goal range. Like, I don't know which way the wind was blowing. Maybe a 56 yarder from there was, was, sure. was testing the distance. Yep. Yeah. But, but give him five to seven yards is Gano going to hit a 50 yarder. Yeah. So like that difference in, in going for it, and not going for it was, was at least three points on the board for the giants, which ho-hum ends up being the amount that the giants end up losing by. But, so, but, but Adam, I, I want, I want to, I want to move away from the the play calling. We, we obviously, I feel frustrated about Jason Garrett. You feel frustrated about Joe Judge, and understandably so. I, I I think about this in the micro. It's like Jason Garrett too conservative of a play caller. Then we go more macro. It's like Joe Judge preaches that we're a disciplined team that's going to be aggressive. That's not what ha what's happening. Then you go higher. You go to Dave Gettleman. To your point. He loves his hog mollies. We've got none of them right now. We can't, we're having difficulty getting to the quarterback. We're also having difficulty protecting our own quarterback. And that's both offensive lines. You also talk about the decisions and strategy that Gettleman has, has gone into in, in the off season where it's like, let's get rid of our best offensive lineman. Let's not draft an offensive lineman and let's hope for the best. And like, yes, injuries happen. Nick Gates is, no, is out. Obviously terrible injury. Shane Lemieux is out horrible injury, but like, you know, at least one or two of your offensive linemen is going to get injured over the course of the season, and you got to have plans around it. Maybe that's why you go out and 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 spend money to get one, or you you invest another first round pick or a second round pick in an offensive lineman. But Adam, you're right. Like a lot of people are angry at Gettleman, Joe Judge. His his honeymoon period is over, and people want Jason Garrett out. But we got to start moving even further up the chain, and that and that goes to to your point with John Mara. It it's it's like. You know, since 2017, we are the only team in the NFL that has not had a winning record at any moment in time. So 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, we have not had a winning record at any moment in time. Every other team in the league has, right? And if you're the New York Giants and you are a multiple Super Bowl championship caliber team, you are a blue blood. You're top five in wins all time. Like you are like a, a staple foundational franchise. This ineptitude and mediocrity can no longer be tolerated. It just cannot. And, and to your point, if you look at 2016 being the one aberration of what's been going on right. where the Giants played well and made the playoffs, it's not like, oh, let's keep harping back on 2016. We can do that again. Like, no, 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 no. Over the last decade, that's the only time that the team was good. 
the team that, was that, above that, that's, that, that's the blip. That's not the trend. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> to, to be able to harp back on 20, 2016 and be like, that's where we're going to be. It's like, no, that is the one time we got lucky and we ended up in that situation. Everything else has been terrible. And it's the decisions at the top. And it's this reluctance to change quickly because we are a calming foundational give everyone patience, let's give everybody time type of organization, it's not working. It's just not working. And and uh, we're going to finish on, on a couple of positives that I want to ask you about in a second. But this clearly starts from the top, and this alignment all the way to what you're seeing uh, as a product on the field is just unacceptable right now. It, it really is. Pessimistic Mike talked about how, uh, if you remember, at one point the NFL stepped in and provided someone to help the New York football giants get themselves on track. Like that, that was a part of what happened because the New York football giants are one of the stalwart organizations and they were going completely off the, off the rails. Right. So they, they forced somebody upon the giants to help them sort it out. I, you know, it's not going to look that way now, but you know, here's a consultant. Hey, we'd like to recommend this guy. Someone you don't know, John, someone you don't know. Adam, you know, because Dave Gettleman was very much a known, a known product. There. I have one more thing, but yeah, I've got, I've got a little something that that might be spicy that you might be interested in. It's unconfirmed, and these are just allegedly, potentially, but there are rumblings that within the next two years, John Mara will sell his portion of the team. That is an underlying situation that is going on right now. Where, <laughs> just real quick though, he's going to sell it to to Tish. Uh, so listen, uh, it, it's it's more it's more that the Maras, while they have been an institution, right, uh, are kind of are, are like, I don't know if this is where I want to be anymore. And so, you know, it's it's completely unconfirmed. And I don't you know, I don't have it fully sourced yet, but I have at least one source that has given me some indications that the, the Maras are tired of this. Like you see John Mara kicking over. You know, garbage you know, we know the grandkids and stuff like they're all, you know, making movies and that's, and it's fantastic. Good for them. Some of them are excellent actresses um, or actors. They're all actors. Um, but that like, is John Mara just the last, is he the last dude? Is he the last mayor? That's like, I like being a giant. I like having the giants because if you don't have the pass down of that, right. It's like, you know that Jerry Jones just cloned his own, you know, himself and made him his son. And he's like, now you put on these glasses, you're looking off into the distance, and you talk with a bit of a draw, and you're gonna run the giant, like you're gonna run the Cowboys, right? Like, there, I don't know if there's that pass down uh, situation in place. So it's it's interesting. To, I mean, listen, that's probably what's needed, though. Uh, you know, if not, if you're not gonna be able to be willing to really remove yourself from it, and it's almost ironic that John Mayer's downfall might be. That he really, he loves the Giants like fans love the Giants. And that's easily the worst way to be if you're running a team, right? It'd be like, listen, I may think I've had some good ideas and thoughts around New York football Giants. Also, if you put me in charge, I might flail violently. At, you know, and now here we watch for my next great act, right? Because you want to have success and you want it to be good. And, and it's hard and it's painful and it's difficult to get through. Let me. Uh, hold on, Adam. Go. I have I have a question uh, that I need I need you to answer for me. Because yeah, we're, we're, we're being cathartic and therapeutic right now about all the areas where we think the Giants can improve. And I'm sure that OGP listeners and Giant fans feel this passion, when we talk about it, they're like, yes, that, yes, yes, yes. Can, can I, can I give you a counter argument for a second? And I want to know your thoughts. Yeah, right. There is a world that is not very difficult to see at all where Dexter Lawrence 
they don't call him offside when he's not offside and the Giants win against the Washington football team. And Adoree Jackson catches that floating ball in, in the end zone. And the New York football Giants are 2-1, and one, and they're tied for the division lead. Like, there is a, there is a world where that is a scenario that could in have happened. World. Right. In a world where Adoree Jackson has the ability to catch a floating has ball. Has hands like fingers and yeah. not like bricks. <laughs> yeah, listen. Yeah. Like, we're, 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 we're like the sky's falling, fire everyone from the owner down to the offensive coordinator. And there are literally two plays that it's not unrealistic to think both of those plays could have gone a different way. From the Giants well, being two and one and having a winning record right now, right? And this is again, and same thing that happened last night, and same thing. You're right to bring it up is like, and even one and two, like I'm, you know what I mean? It's like either one of these games take one of these couple of plays here, and all of a sudden the Giants are one and two, and it's not perfect, but you still feel like, hey, okay, we're you know close game, two close games, one one lost one, first game of the season. Ah, don't worry about that. Daniel Jones looks good. We're going in the right direction. Yes, there are all these positive things, but and this is unfortunately the cumulative effect of having season after season of, hey, if only I can give you 14 plays from last season where the Giants finished with 10 wins, right? Like at some point, even though it's the lucky or unlucky bounce of the football, if you're unlucky more than you're lucky, it means that you're, that means that you're more often bad than you are good, right? Like, so I think, I think that that's a part of it. And also this is why even yesterday when I came on, I said, I was like, listen, do I think that the Giants can still win games this year? Yeah, I do. Like, do I think that, and this was yesterday when you were talking about Garrett. And I was like, listen, we do have to acknowledge the fact that they that they played without two offensive starters, theoretically, from what they thought they were going to come in the year with. And whether it's right, wrong, and different, Pert was supposed to be a starter, and he's not. So three-fifths of your starting offensive line is not what you thought it was going to be. And you lose all the weapons. Like, as you go from the top down and say, well, here's the reasons why that's a problem. Here's why that's a problem. Here's why this is a problem. And then you get finally get down to the team in the game. You can say, we're not doesn't look like we're that far away from winning games. And also Washington looked pretty bad in their week three game. Atlanta hasn't been great this year. We'll find out when you go and play the saints and you go and play Dallas. Like, listen, even if you are zero and five and those games are close, like I'll still, I'll still end up saying, do I think that this, that it's terrible and we're in a really bad spot? Yes. Do I think that this, we have X percentage of good pieces? Yes, I do. But clearly the, the, the total composition here, whatever elements they are, are not combining to success. Wouldn't it be so on brand for the Giants that 0-3, everyone needs to be shunned, and they go out and they upset the Saints and they go to Dallas and they beat Dallas and they're 2-3 and three, and they pull Giant fans back in. And they say, ah, yes, we're back in it. We're 2-3. and three. If you said after five weeks that we'd be floating around 500, we would have taken it going into the season. And then they're like, the whole spin zone goes goes and and, and gives you this. Right, then they lose oh. to L.A. and to Carolina and to the Kansas City Chiefs, and then you're and then you're <laughs> right, yeah, and then you you're two it, and six, and you go, oh my god, you managed to get exactly where we were last year. You enormous pieces of this. Yeah. Yes. So so I, I see a scenario of that, but but listen, as much doom and gloom as we're talking about, and we're talking about organizational structure and everything else going By Wednesday, on. Wednesday, I'll be back on board. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> the one thing that Giant fans can can look at and say is over the first three games, our quarterback our franchise quarterback has not been the problem like and that is a good starting point for anyone to have because there are other teams out there that are in a worse spot that have a better roster but have no one leading the ship in the front and so far at least you look at it to you if daniel jones is successful and you think and you think that he looks good do you think it's automatic that he is the franchise quarterback if we're painting a picture where potentially dave gettleman could be gone maybe joe judge could be gone new regime coming in next year we, we've often talked about, right? 
you have to let the, uh, the GM make his decisions and make the new choices. No matter what we think Dave Gettleman's going to be gone at this point, like maybe Joe Judge makes it through. But if you have a new GM and he either keeps or brings in a new head coach, Daniel Jones is not Joe Judge's quarterback, technically speaking. Like, do you think that there's a world that even Daniel Jones looking pretty good is maybe also to the benefit of saying we're moving? We Again, we have to move on. Even the players that are good, it's not about whether they're good or bad. It's about... This just is not the model we need to, you know, to the studs with this. Well, I mean, look at Sam Darnold. It's the perfect example. I, I, the I, same, I, it, it feels it, like that's what, exactly what the Giants are walking into. In the exact same stadium where it's like, we couldn't get this guy help. You know, maybe he's a good quarterback. Maybe he's not. But we're going to go youth and we're going to re- hit the reset button on having a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. And they trade, you know, Sam Darnold for what? What was it? Third round pick or fourth round pick. And he's looked above average, if not very good so far. <laughs> you know, top half of the league type of quarterback. Yeah, that he might be in a very similar situation with Daniel Jones where, you know, he looks like he's a serviceable quarterback, could be a top half quarterback in the league, but the timeline that the Giants are on and when they're looking to compete and all this different stuff doesn't match up and maybe they have to hit the reset button. So there's going to be a lot of questions. It, the, the real question for the remainder of the season is almost when are those questions going to be asked? When does the white flag end up being raised? And, and what are the Giants going to do? Are they going to change from their perception before of, of, of acquiring people like Leonard Williams at the deadline, or are they going to say it's time for a full rebuild? By the way, Sam Darnold netted a sixth rounder in this past year's draft and then a two and a four in next year's draft. <clears throat> I mean, again, this isn't, this is the hard spot that you're in because at what point do you say, you know, now we're going to have to pay Daniel Jones in another season. Like we're only a, a step away from that. So it's just interesting, man. And I, I think that you and I do a pretty good job of, of not swinging the pendulum on the podcast too much and, you know, being pretty steady. I came into the Atlanta game saying, I think the Giants can be in a place where they are two and three after five games. And like you said, you come out and you shock everybody and you beat the Saints and all of a sudden we're all circling the date, division game, chance to beat the Dallas Cowboys and be right back in the thick of it. And, and maybe that's the case, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with this. It was a great day retiring Eli Manning's jersey, him going to the Ring of Honor. That was fantastic. And, and remember that a lot of those successful years were not perfect teams by any stretch of the imagination. But y- you need to be conscious of don't get too high on the wins and too low on the losses like we are in this moment right now. But always be examining what, you know, what, is, the, what is the constant here. And some of the themes underneath Dave Gettleman certainly have been we're not good enough on the front. On, de- on the defense, we're not good enough on the front on offense, and those are things that need to get solved. So even a couple of wins here and there shouldn't blind you to the fact that this is not a, a perfectly constructed team, and there's going to be a lot of issues, especially when you get into the Tampa Bays, the Kansas Cities, and some of the really, really strong powerhouse teams that are good on both sides of the ball around the NFL. That, my friend, will do it <sighs> on another delicious episode of OGP. Uh, you can, of course, follow us on social media. You can uh, subscribe to the channel over on YouTube where we're doing this thing live uh, a few days a week. We're also filling in with some. We'll look at PFF grades this week. We'll look at snap counts this week. We didn't even get into the injury on the defensive side, which is Blake Martinez. And I have some very interesting thoughts around that player and what it looked like before and after he was hurt and whether or not we start to reexamine that signing as well. Um, But but listen, in spite of it all, (laughs) Andy Makowitz um, will be back with me. And he would want, need, and nay, demand that the people know. As always, let's go big blue.